0: So the key to leading the life that you wanna lead, that nobody can stop you from, is once you decide what it is, you need to become valuable to the people in the world you wanna be around. The way that you create value for people in the world is to solve a problem they have that they can't solve. Figure out who you wanna be valuable to, study their industry, find a problem they need help solving, and then go solve it. That is the key to everything. You have to become the go-to girl or the go-to guy in the industry you want to be in to the people you want to be around. And there's no place you can't wind up. We stand today. This is Method the with a method. The
1: Business Method.
0: The Business Method podcast.
2: The Business Method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneur systems, methods, tools and tactics.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently we are interviewing a hundred major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post COVID. Since we moved into a post pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now, Let's hop into today's show.
2: The business method.
1: Hey, gals and pals, listen up real quick because we have something exciting to share with you. First, for you high-performing entrepreneurs out there, we've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 episodes that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just two to eight minutes long. These high-performance episodes are being published on Monday and Friday each week, and will be labeled as HP number 12345678910, and so on. Those episodes are live now and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content when you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered to you as soon as they are live. The next thing I wanted to share with you is about our private mastermind community for established entrepreneurs. If you have an established business that has good momentum and wanted to be involved in a higher level mastermind community that is curated specifically for entrepreneurs that are moving at the same speed as you with similar challenges, revenue, team size, and business niche, then we've got a group for you. Our private mastermind groups are facilitated by myself, yours truly, and my good friend, Adam Anderson. Adam is a seasoned entrepreneur who's been involved in 20 plus startups over 20 years, and recently had a multi-million dollar exit. I keep the members on track with their goals, productivity, and optimization, and Adam brings the vast business knowledge to the groups. Our purpose with this private community is to help you reach your business goals faster so you can remove yourself from your company and focus on bigger and better things. You can learn more about that private community and masterminds at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. That's thebusinessmethod.com forward slash masterminds. And now, let's hop into today's show.
2: The business method.
1: Listeners, welcome back to the show. Today I'm very excited to welcome the guest. His name is Jeff Hoffman, and Jeff is one of the original execs of the now $80 billion company Priceline.com, aka Booking.com. After Priceline, Jeff became a founding partner, chairman, and CEO of Black Sky Entertainment, an independent production company in the film and music industries that produced the independent horror film. (laughs) called cabin fever it was a 1.3 million dollar project but to date it has grossed over 100 million dollars he has also produced concerts for elton john nsync beyonce britney spears the backstreet boys Jeff is the producer of the A Grammy-winning jazz album, an executive producer of an Emmy Award-winning winning television show. He has founded several successful other companies, including uBid.com, another multi-billion dollar company. He's the co-author of the best-selling book, Scale. He was inclu- uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame of Entrepreneurship in 2010 jeff literally no pun intended took a boatload of entrepreneurs and sailed around the world to help solve the world's problems he's built a sports company and bought the miami marlins with Derek jeter he's the founder one of the founders of giveforward.com that has raised around five billion dollars or so and maybe most importantly jeff is the reason why we can print our boarding passes out at a kiosk instead of standing in line i could go on and on about jeff you guys jeff is all the things uh and all the things that he's accomplished over the years but let's hop into the interview Jeff, my friend, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me today.
1: So I I actually just found out about you probably three months ago, and a good friend of mine just started raving about Jeff Hoffman this, Jeff Hoffman that. And then we have another friend in uh, here in Austin that runs one of the largest entrepreneurial communities, and he started telling him about it. And he was like, wow, that guy sounds amazing. So they were like, Chris, you got to get him on the podcast. So I, I started doing some research on you. Um, and I'm blown away, but all the things you've created, but also how humble you are about all the things you've created over the years. I think that's, uh, shows your values. It's very impressive, but you started out as a small town kid for, with a single parent in Arizona, right?
0: Yep. Uh, you know, it was interesting because we never really had anything, a single mom with four kids, Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't really miss anything, right? There was never a point where. I felt without or sorry for myself. In fact, it was kind of the opposite. I appreciated that my mom was such a hard worker and would sometimes have multiple jobs just trying to take care of four kids, uh, which is sort of the start for me of why I started not being an entrepreneur, but doing jobs, whether it was mowing the lawn, cleaning the pool, cleaning a garage, finding ways to make my own money uh mostly because i just didn't want to bother my mom if i needed a new pair of shoes or something so when people say what got you into being an entrepreneur wasn't an entrepreneur it was independence and trying to help my mom out when i was young got me used to this model that if you're willing to go work hard you can actually make money by yourself and take care of yourself and make some decisions on your own meaning i could get on my bike a ride to the shoe store and just get my own shoes without bothering my mother that's a pretty good feeling
1: yeah, I could imagine, especially as a, at a young age, and and then I heard this story, and I hope it's accurate that that you wanted to go to Yale, which was very hard to get in, um, and you somehow you made it, uh, you got in, and then when you arrived, you didn't have enough money to pay tuition, so you started your first company, and uh, on the second day of being at Yale, and then you used that money to pay your tuition throughout the four years at school. Is that right?
0: That is exactly right, and and again. It was never about, I still had never used the word entrepreneur uh, and it wasn't about money. Um, and, you know, I say that now because the lesson learned um, is that, you know, people that are driven, this is the way I usually say it, people that are driven by passion and purpose uh, far outperform people driven by paycheck. If I had started a company just to make money, then we all know in the entrepreneurial and startup world, money's hard to come by. and the people that are only trying to make money when they're not making money, those are the people that huh, have this bad habit of quitting. It's, ah, I came here to make money. I'm not making it. If you're driven by some bigger purpose, you're more resilient and more determined. And so in this case, I didn't think worry about money and I didn't think and sit and dream about money. What I visualized Chris was uh, graduation. I wanted to walk across the stage with everybody else and get a diploma mm-hmm. and graduate Yale and not be denied that just because I didn't have the money. Um, but you know, I wasn't mad at the university, I didn't pay everything. So of course you can't go to class if you haven't paid for school, paid what we could afford and what scholarships I got. So uh, when, you know, when they told me on day two, uh, go home. And I was like, uh, I don't even have the money to go home. <laughs> um, so I'm not going anywhere um, and I uh, sat there and I said you got two choices and this is true in life a lot you can quit right and let the world defeat you or you can say I'm not going down without a fight and give it your best shot and I said well my problem is paying tuition maybe there's a way that I could find a way to do that and one of the other things that's actually uh, somewhere on my board behind me um, Uh, that I believed this fundamentally from all the way back in childhood, which was, this is what I'd written down long ago. Dream big, work hard, create value. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is you got to have some big dream. I wanted to, you know, go to Yale. I mean, that was an insane dream for where I was in school. People there didn't go to schools like that, but a big dream. But you got to be able to work as hard as your dream is big. And I was never afraid to do that. I was, you know, outside cleaning pools in the Arizona sun in the desert when it was 116 degrees. Hard work wasn't the problem, but I learned the third part, which is you have to create value. Just because you have big dreams and you're willing to work hard, doesn't get you anywhere. You have to do something for somebody else. Mm -hmm. You have to create value that the world, something, you have to do something the world considers valuable, that literally that they would pay you to do. So that's what I'm sitting there thinking, I know what my dream is. I wanna get this degree, I wanna graduate. I'm willing to do the work. I've just gotta find a way to create value in the world um, so that uh, in exchange for value, I get money and then I can pay tuition. So that's what I did. I started a software company and I walked, I had no car, and walked around from my college campus to companies and I asked them questions to try to determine what tech products I was doing custom software. What, what could I create for them that would add value to their business?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I got answers and I said, fine, I'll build that for you. And so I started this software company and I was, uh, building software products for mostly small and medium sized businesses. And I funded my whole Yale education and graduated at the end of four years.
1: That's incredible.
0: That's what the dream was.
1: Did you, did you keep, uh, did you keep that business running after the four years?
0: I did not, um, I intended to, um, but I, I'm gonna tell you something because I think this is really relevant for everybody. Um, you know, the, the whole world tells you, and for, there are listeners, your listeners that have either been told this by their parents or our parents and are telling their kids this. Everybody's like, you need to go get a good job at a good company so you can get a good salary. And so everybody was telling me that. You've graduated now. You have an engineering degree. Go get a good job somewhere at a good company. Get a good salary. Right. And so there was so much pressure. You think about when kids are graduating college today, what their parents are saying is, well, what did you decide to be? As if at 22, you knew what you're going to be for the rest of your life. Right? Are are you going to be an engineer? Are you going to be an accountant? Are you going to be a social? What are you going to be, a doctor, a lawyer, a social worker? Pick something. And I didn't realize how ridiculous that was until everybody was telling me, you need to go get a job. And, and Chris, you know, to be honest, one day I went to look, I started thinking about this, that when I looked at fancy, a lot of kids I went to college with went to prep school. And when I looked at prep schools, what they promote themselves on is getting you into a good college. That's right. the reason to pay their fees. And then I went and looked at colleges and how do colleges rate themselves by job placement rate? Yeah. And then you have your parents saying, go get a good degree so you can get a good job at a good company. And so I realized everything is this giant high-pressure funnel driving you to get a, quote, good job at a good company. So I did that. I left the startup behind, and I went and got an engineering job at a big engineering company. But here's the simple truth. There's all this focus on a good job, which has nothing or possibly little to do with a good life. Mm, I had a good job and i hated it every day hated my boss hated the bureaucracy i didn't enjoy the work i was doing but hey i got a good paycheck and one day i said this isn't actually enough i actually want a good life and so it really made me think that for again for your listeners what are you pushing your kids to if there's so much focus on get a job really the focus should be on get a life yeah get a life that you enjoy does that include paying your bills of course it does Having a job of some kind, creating value and generating income, yes, it does. But it's not about the job, the title or the paycheck. It's about whether or not you have, you're you fulfilled in any way. And I was not. So I wound up just waiting. I had this job and I was like, I made a bad call, right? I enjoyed when I was running my own little company, I did not like the work environment I was in at the big engineering company. And so I just walked out.
1: Jeff, I want to ask you, you've had so many successes in your life. You know, you go from Priceline, U- UBID, you know, creating a, a movie, creating a production company. Um, and, and you said your, those three pillars there are dream big, work hard and provide value. So, so maybe you could take us, if you don't mind, take us through your process of how to find value to create for the entrepreneurs that are out there looking for more value they could create for their business and, or, uh, want to be entrepreneurs that want to find some value they can start their first business with.
0: All right. That's, a, that, that's an absolutely great question. So let, let's do it this way.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, the, there is, there is a key. So one fact we'll, we'll continue with the story because uh, okay. then we can keep it flowing in that sense. Um, I didn't have a good life. Like I said, uh, I just went to work every day, sat in a cubicle, hated my boss, couldn't stand the bureaucracy Got a nice paycheck and it didn't make me happy. So that begs the first question. It's not what, it's why. What does make you happy? What would make you happy? For anybody listening, the first thing you need to answer is make a decision on what would make you happy. What is the life? So that's a visioning process to sit down and say, what if you could just in a perfect world design it, what life would you have? Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell you what mine was. And I'm gonna come back around to, your, to answer your question as how we create value and find more. Um, so I thought about it and my childhood dream was to see the world. Because like I said, I grew up in a little de- desert town that nobody ever left. All the people, Chris, that I grew up with all still live there. Yeah. Nobody left yeah. and that's fine. I'm not judging them. There's no right or wrong here. It's a DNA thing, but I had big plans. And one of them was I was going to see the world. I was going to visit 50 countries by the time I die. So if I could look back one day and say I visited 50 different countries in my life, then I would say that was a life well spent. That would make me happy. So that's the first part of the process is decide what would make you happy. So therefore, I need a life where I can visit 50 countries. But remember, I'm broke and I'm unemployed at this point. So the key... to to leading the life that you wanna lead, that nobody can stop you from, is once you decide what it is, is here's the way I'll phrase it, Chris, you need to become valuable to the people in the world you wanna be around. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And that means providing what we just said, creating value for those people or the industry. If you want to be, let's say it's fashion. If you wanna be sitting on the runway at the Paris Fashion Show or in Fashion Week in New York City, then you need to become valuable enough to the people in the fashion industry that they would call and invite you to sit there. Right. So likewise, my goal was I wanted to travel the world, so I already know who I need to be valuable to. I need to be valuable to the players in the travel industry, to the world's airlines and stuff, because mm-hmm. I want to I take off across the world. So decide what life would make you happy, then determine who you need to be valuable to that can, who can enable that for you? Who can enable me to fly around the world? Well, the travel industry, the airline industry. And so the way, again, the way that you create value for people in the world is to solve a problem they have that they can't solve a real problem. And so now I'm going to give you a real example of my first company. Um, Now the way that you solve a problem for people, is you stay up many, many nights studying an industry to find a problem that you can solve or how to solve it. I I will will tell you about, I'll I'll give you two examples. Is is it okay? Because I'm going to take a couple minutes. Of course, please, please, please. Okay. Um, Because I'm going to give you the travel one is the short one first Okay. because that one didn't require much study. My goal was that to find a way to live the life I wanted, which would be a life of traveling the world. But I still need a job. When I quit my job at the engineering company, I was broken, and unemployed and everyone was mad at me. My parents were yelling at me. Everybody's upset because you had a good job and a good salary and you just walked away. Mm-hmm. And they were right. I was hungry and broke. That's not a good thing. Um, but I was thinking in my mind, can I create my own future? Instead of looking for or begging for a job, which many of us do when we go out looking for a job. Um, Could I just create, could you create the job you want that enables you to live the life that would make you happy? And so if my desired life is one of travel, then I need to become valuable to the people in the travel industry, Mm -hmm. which means I need to solve a problem that they need help with. And therefore I need to create a job as the person that solves that problem. All that's in my head. And... I still want to make money and pay my bills. i got to eat. So I go to the airport one day. I bought an airline ticket to go see my mentor. Um, But I was broke, and that airline ticket was a pretty expensive thing for me. When I got to the airport, the airport was really crowded, and the lines to check in were an hour long. Back then, you had to check in at a counter to get a boarding pass. Yeah. Check in counter, and I missed the flight. And when I got to the front, I was very frustrated because a missed flight's way more expensive than changing your flight yeah. because it cancels. And so I'm standing there in the airport, already missed the flight, took an hour to get to the front of the line, and I'm frustrated, and I'm saying to the woman, this is ridiculous that it takes an hour in line, and all you're doing is printing boarding passes, right? You check people in and print a boarding pass. Basically, we're all standing in line so one person can use the printer, And she's just like ignoring me, Chris. She's like, next customer. And I was like, I'm talking to you. She's like, next customer. And I stood there and I said, there's got to be a better way to check in for a flight. And that is the epiphany moment where all those pieces come together. Uh I want to design a job I would like doing, not the job that I quit that I hated. I want to live the life I would like to live, which is traveling around the world. And so now all of a sudden I'm thinking. If I can solve a problem that airlines have everywhere, maybe I could create my own job, make money, and have a job where I get to travel. And so what happened was I went home, I got all excited, and I went home, and that Friday I did my first real startup. And, you know, so as you mentioned before, when you go to airports, check in at airports pretty much everywhere in the world now, Mm -hmm. at a Mm check-in kiosk, that was my first product. I went home and I said, I know what I'll do. And I started designing and drawing and testing and started a little company and created check-in kiosks. Then I started marketing to airlines. And, you know, in the end, here's what happened. Um, I wound up creating my own job, creating a company where my job every week was to fly to a different country uh, to sell ticketing machines. I Lufthansa called, I'm on the way to Germany. right? KLM Royal Dutch calls, and I'm on the way to the Netherlands. Nice. And, you know, then an airline calls in Brazil and I'm on the goal calls and I'm on the way to Brazil. And so I got a chance to see the world and get paid for doing it by creating my own job by following that formula. Figure out who you want to be valuable to, study their industry, find a problem they need help solving and then go solve it. Uh, that is the key. All that is my definition of entrepreneurship.
1: All entrepreneurs
0: that. are are people that solve problems that actually need to be solved. Yeah. If, something that needs fixed
1: in the world. I love it. Uh, and is this true, Jeff? I heard that one of those one of the first kiosks that you guys built exploded and almost killed you or something like that?
0: Well, no, no. It just burst into flames in the okay. office <laughs> it was because it was a heat sink problem. Uh-huh. When, it, when it was printing too many tickets in a row, the electronics heat up. And we didn't have a heat sink where it, where it bled off the heat. Uh-huh. It wasn't strong enough, so when it overheated, and then it's got paper in it, right? The boarding pass paper. And it got so hot from the metal that it, it sparked itself. <laughs> I'm sitting in my office, Chris, and all my employees are running out of the hall, sprinting out of the building. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, dude, the prototype's on fire. <laughs> and I was like, uh, was someone going to tell me? Were these guys just going to leave me here to burn? Why is everybody no fire but me? And everybody's leaving, and no one's telling. I'm all upset about it. And they're like, calm down. We're, we're fanning out to go find, uh, they said, we're fanning out to go find fire extinguisher.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So somebody (laughs) found one in a neighbor's office. We realized we didn't know we didn't have one until then. And that was the end of our prototype. That was painful. It burned down. But then the team came back and said, now we know we have a heat sink problem. We know how to fix that. Yeah. Uh, That was a scary. It's only funny later. Yeah. Right. You think your building's about to burn down and you're in it still. And
1: it's good. It happened in, well, in the office It's not good. It's happened, but it happened in the office and not in the airport. airport. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so this was, this was all pre Priceline, right? Yeah, and then absolutely. Priceline came afterwards. Okay. Did the idea of Priceline kind of evolve from your working in the travel industry well, and you thought yeah. oh, there's another need there?
0: Well, yeah, but there are middle steps and and the, the, uh, person that actually founded Priceline was a guy named Jay Walker. Priceline was his idea. Okay. And so, but for me, let me, let me take a step in between the technology that I had, uh, that we developed to enable you to walk up to a kiosk without speaking airline language and in simple English and a touch screen, right? Be able to pull up your reservation and pick a seat and check in. Mm -hmm. You realize that technology, the next logical step is if you can look at your flight reservation on a screen in simple English, why can't you just make one? Right. So I started developing with my company then after the kiosk, the initial technology in the industry for online booking. Okay. And so Later, we had a private company and a business partner. We had a private company where we developed uh, really the early online booking systems. In fact, we did a deal with uh, Bill Gates and Microsoft and we helped build Expedia with them beforehand. But Jay Walker, Jay's an inventor in Connecticut and Jay had an idea, something different. So I was already building online booking uh, with my company. But when Jay called me, um, Jay had this idea for the reverse auction. And that's what he had a patent on. Mm-hmm. And the reverse auction was the Priceline name your own price algorithm. That you can, instead of just buying a seat on an airplane or an empty hotel room, you can make an offer yeah. on it, right? So that's what the reverse auction is. So Jay created that. And Jay said, I think we could use this to create a new type of travel model where you can make a bid on empty hotel rooms and airline seats. So Jay mm. rounded up a group of people but the reason I was one of the people that was called in the early days, this, this group that got together to build this company, uh, was because I, myself and some of my tech team, we had that skill set and experience of building online travel already. So that was the evolution uh, that wound up getting me there uh, at the start when we all got together to build uh, Priceline.
1: So all of these skills that you were learning over time uh, kind of revolved around solving problems, right? And and then you kind of moved into the entertainment industry, and you started your your first uh, a tour company in the entertainment in- industry. Created a movie. What what inspired you, Jeff, to get into the entertainment industry after being in tech uh, and software your entire life?
0: Sure. So the the uh, and by the way, along the way, you know, obviously, uh, the kiosk company did very well, and uh, and the. You know, uh, clearly, Priceline um, did, but we had some fails along the way. Some startup ideas. The only good news, Cruz, is that Chris is that I was good enough to fail fast. Yeah. Um, some of the ideas we tried, we were good listeners to markets and customers. And no matter how good you think your idea is, if the market is not responding, when we were wrong, we we didn't bring our ego to work. Mm. And so the time that was wrong. I said, guys, we're just wrong. No, this isn't going to work. We'd seem like a good idea and it's not. Let's move on. Right. So we failed along the way, but we failed fast. We had other successes. Um, but I asked myself the question that we just asked your listeners. What is your definition of a good life, right? When you look back, if you were to make a list, I ask people this all the time, of things you want to do in your life. So when you look back later, you don't leave regrets on the table you say, man, I I did the stuff I really wanted to do in my life.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Instead of getting there and saying, I was so busy being an accountant that I never got into cooking or whatever it was that you wanted to do. I use that example because I had this conversation with a guy that is 22 years in an accounting firm. And when I was asking him to name some of the things that he wanted to do to look back at his life and say, "I, I really did think I really got out of my life what I wanted. He listed two things touring the country, not the world, he wanted to get in an RV and experience America from the inside out. And the second thing he wrote down was the great joy he gets from cooking for people and feeding them. And so when I asked him to list those two things, list down things, this is what we're talking about, what I did. What are some things that when you look back, if you could do these things, you'll say, man, that's the way I wanted my life to turn out, right? So I had written down the music and movies. But this guy had written down cooking for people and seeing the world in my art, seeing the country in my RV. And then when we were done, there was this silence, Chris. And it was kind of funny because he said, well, I can't go back to work now. I said, why? And he said, well, now I realize I just do accounting every day. There's nothing negative against accounting. It's not the point. Uh I'm never going to do these things. And I said, well, not on the path you're on. So what was cool about the story was he sold his accounting company. He bought a food truck. And for the last two years, he spends about six weeks at a time. And by the way, he visited uh, SoCo and he parked in Austin for quite some time. <laughs> did he? Nice. He cooks for people in his food truck and he visits small town America. And he, I've never seen him happier. Wow. He loves his life now. He did not love his life every day <laughs> when he was off office. So I did the same. I asked myself, what else you've got to get done before it's too late? And I absolutely love music in the music industry and I wanted to be in it. And I said, man, I'd love to be involved in the music industry somehow. But how? I'm a software engineer. Right. Who? What job is there for me in the music industry and the way you want to be? And I'm a tech guy. And the answer is there was no job I was going to get in music applying for it. So back to the formula we've been talking about all along. Could I create one? Could I become valuable to the people in the industry? And so, I, this is where I said I started staying up every night and reading about the music biz. So, again, for your listeners, if there's something you want to get into, and by the way, don't let people pigeonhole you. When I first said I'm going to go in the music biz, people said, Well, you're a software engineer. You're not an accountant. You're not a lawyer. You're not a software engineer. You're a person with multiple interests and passions that happen to be able to learn software
1: mm-hmm. or accounting.
0: What I said was, that by the same process in which I learned software that's causing you to call me a software engineer, I'm gonna go learn music. I'm just a learner, I'm not I'm not pigeonholed into one thing. Right. So, because right. everybody said, you're not a music guy, you're not a musician, you can't go in that industry. And I said, well, if I can find a problem I can solve and become valuable to someone in the industry, then maybe I could. So the formula then is you study the industry every night. So I started Googling everything I was, what I was fascinated by, uh, I went to a concert with my friends. It was an Elton John concert. And there's some guy, there's 30,000 people there that night. Some guy goes out on stage, Chris, and he goes, are you people ready to rock? And everyone in the place is roaring. And I'll turn to one of my friends. I was like, who's that dude? Because it's not Elton. I don't know who he is. And they're like, oh, he's the producer. This is his show. Uh-huh. He is the reason this concert exists. He's It's his event. He's bringing us the music tonight. And I was like, I want to be that guy. <laughs> My friends are all laughing, like, God, you're always such a dreamer. You're not going to be that guy. He's a music guy, obviously. And you're a tech guy or a software guy. Right. So I start studying the industry and staying up, and I'm Googling concert production. And I'm trying to find out what are the problems? What do you need help with? And so what you do is you start researching an industry. But here's an interesting thing. Every industry sort of has its own organization. So I discover in the music biz, which I would have never discovered if I hadn't started wildly Googling things and going down rabbit holes to teach myself about music. I'm looking for a problem I can solve. I found out that the the music industry had a magazine called Polestar. It's the, I never heard of it. It's the magazine of the concert industry. So I went and got it subscribed for $12 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then I start reading it and it's articles from the people who produce concerts and music. The guy that was on stage basically and so then i start cold emailing people and the truth is nine out of ten people will never respond maybe it's not even out of a hundred but somebody does
2: yeah The
0: you know, one that did i replied to me and he said hey how can i help you and i said i just love to buy you coffee and listen to you talk about what you do for a living which most people like talking about what they do and i said i'm trying to learn the music industry and so he met with me and along the way I'm saying, well, what problems are? what are the hard things to solve? What are the things that the people in the music industry stress over? And one of the things he told me, and by the way, he started introducing me to other people and now I'm meeting people. And what he told me was he said, you don't make money in music anymore from the song. You make it from live performances, concerts and tours. That's where the real money is. Everybody wants to be on stage and perform. And So I said, you know, he said, he gave me this number, the percentage of all professional signed recording artists that ever get on concerts and tours is really low. Why? I said, he said, because we're all music people. We're not business people. We don't know how to finance Beyonce doesn't hire herself. That's not her concert. That's not her tour. Some company put together a tour and hired her. And he made that clear to me. He said, they're not hiring themselves. Somebody put together a music tour and hired these people. And he said, but there aren't that many people that know how to one, finance a tour and two, market it. So what I did was this, and this is what anybody listening can do. Make a list of all the problems that an industry has to solve. So I wrote, I went to the whiteboard and I wrote down to produce a concert. I started listing everything that has to get done. Somebody has to sing the songs, that's not me. Somebody has to write the songs, that's not me. Somebody has to go on stage and dance. That'll never be, but as I made a list, somebody has to put together a business and financial proposal for a concert. And I was like, I do that every day for other products, but I know how to write proposals. I know the financing side. And then when I got to the end, somebody has to have a clever marketing plan uh, to promote this concert and fill up the seats. I was like, I know how to do marketing. So I crossed off all the things. You cross off everything you can't do And you see if there's some problems the industry has that you're looking at that you could solve. Mm -hmm. So I wrote down, put together the business deals for concerts and tours. And at the back end, I wrote, put down the promotion and distribution, the sales side of it that I could put together to promote artists and concerts and events. And so that's the company I created, that we put, I I launched a company to create shows, um, concerts and tours, to raise the money for them and then to promote them and run them. Mm-hmm. And so I just just sort of end it with it wound up, you know, a couple of cool days. We did the concerts you mentioned before, tours, charity events. We produced all these things with, uh, you know, working with all kinds of artists uh, from Beyonce to Justin Timberlake to Britney Spears, Boys to Men, et cetera. But uh, kind of a cool moment was many years later, I had an out-of-body experience um, because I was, uh, Producing a concert, I was backstage with Elton John. I was doing a charity concert with him and it was sold out like almost 30,000 people. And Elton and I were backstage and he said, well, let's get the show on the road, go out there and introduce me. And I was walking out on stage and I was looking up and I was like, man, there's 30, everybody I know, all my friends are there. Uh Uh, 30,000 people in the house and the place is rocking. And I hear this, the out-of-body experience was I hear this voice basically. Somebody said, are you people ready for some Elton John? And the whole place is rocking. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, oh, my God, that was me. Yeah. It brought me back to that moment. I said, wait, that's me. I'm actually that guy now. Yeah. Standing on stage saying that. The answer is that it's because I became valuable to the people I want to be around. That is the key to everything. You have to become the go-to girl or the go-to guy in the industry you want to be in to the people you want to be around. And so that's how, like, right now, my, my business partner and good friend is Pitbull, the rapper. And people say, how did you and Pitbull ever get together? Um, or one night, I got a phone call when I was out in L.A. to come over to Christina Aguilera's house. And it was the same thing. I'm looking around and saying, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Right? He's Pitbull or she's Christina. Why are you calling me? And the answer is because I got a business problem I need help with. And everybody says, you're the go-to guy. Yeah. Become the go-to guy or girl for something that interests you in the world. And there's no place you can't wind up. And that's how we wound up in the end on the red carpet at the Grammys because we produced our own jazz album. And we won a Grammy that year for best jazz album. And I was standing there and the paparazzi people were, I was laughable because they're taking my pictures. And I'm, the whole thing's ridiculous. And somebody says, uh, how do you feel right now, Jeff? And I said, you get a kick out of this, Chris. I said, well, this is the dream of every software engineer everywhere. And I'm <laughs> to the red carpet. They're like, what are you talking about? And I said, never mind. Inside joke. <laughs> Don't, there's no path you can't follow or place you can't go if you are solving problems for other people and making yourself valuable. Right. That's how I got to that those places.
1: Jeff, what was the timeline from you sitting in, in the audience of the Elton John concert and then you going on stage for the Elton John concert?
0: Um, let's see. Three years. Not overnight by any means. Um, but yeah, but not ten years. still impressive, about, though. It was about a three-year run from yeah. when we started it. Three or four years from when I started that company, we wound up uh, producing big-time shows. And luck is luck in there, Sure. Mm-hmm. You always take luck, but as all you know, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? Yeah. Um, so luck, luck only happens when you're actually in the game. It doesn't happen when you're sitting on the sidelines afraid to try.
1: Absolutely. So as an entrepreneur, I know that like to build the success that you have and get the results that you have, you've got to be really skilled at, at building teams. And from what I know of you, I think you're, this is another one of your superpowers. Um, what, what's your process in building a team? Say, say you've got this production company and you're like, okay, uh, what's the team I need to build and how do I know I've got the right people on the team to make this happen?
0: So Chris, that's a great question because one of the most important things to realize is that the scarcest resource in the world for people building businesses is not money. It's not financial capital, it's human capital. Everybody is, always <laughs> likes to say, you know, what's the missing ingredient? What do you need to scale and grow your company? And they always say funding. Uh, funding is way more abundant than talent is. It is. There are a lot of people in the world that could write a check. There are very few rock stars in the world that will stand next to you in the trenches and you build an amazing company. Mm-hmm. So talent is everything. When David Finkel, he's my co-author, uh, and I wrote the book Scale, Um, The premise of the book is you can't grow until you can let go until you can't scale until you can get out of the way and you can't get out of the way until you can trust and empower other people. And you can't trust and empower people until you realize that the real role of a leader is to surround yourself with people smarter than you and then get out of their way Uh and take care of them. So a lot of people think I'm the founder, I'm the CEO, I'm the boss, I'm running the business. I didn't start to achieve success until I realized that I need to spend less time running the business and more time finding people smarter than me to run it for me. So the team really is everything. And the way that you build a team and the way that you track those people is that you focus very, very hard on culture, on corporate culture and values. The best people in the industry, what you want to do as a leader is you want to build the company where all the best people in your industry all want to work for you and never want to quit. That's your job. That's way more important than running the company yourself. I didn't know this, Chris, until we sold the company and I was doing a television interview and the uh news reporter she's like reading all these things mr hoffman you had a 12 whatever 1200 percent a year revenue growth and sales and profits and margins she said impressive accomplishments which of these those are you most proud of and i remember at that moment saying actually it's none of those things i said the accomplishment i'm most proud of is this when i was driving to the tv studio the woman that ran hr for me all those years called me and she said jeff this is so cool i had to share it with you i just verified this she said In all the years, from the day you started the company to the day you sold it, not one person that worked for you has ever quit. And I said, what? That's like the coolest thing I've ever done, and I don't even know how that happened. So I started calling the employees, and I was like, why don't you guys quit? And they're like, do you want us to quit? Is this a problem? I was like, no, I just don't understand why no one ever leaves here. And they started answering with a list. Here's a list of the things that this company does that make us love working here. And I was like, "Oh my God, let me write those down so next time I can do them on purpose."
2: Because right.
0: I was just doing things instinctively. But it turns out that the culture we created that made time to show people how they're valued, that they recognized, you know, ninja-like performances, we had a bunch of things that we did about how we treated people, how we respected a set of values that became our corporate culture. Um, that were the why, the real reason people liked working there and I had I overheard somebody say to a coworker once, I think I can make get paid more working somewhere else, but there's no way I'm gonna find a company like this. So I'm not even, done, I'm not interested.
2: Right. right? right.
0: And, and the, sal- the difference in salary would not make up for everything else I love about working here. An example, um, <clears throat> we used to do these quarterly projects where I would take a percentage of the money we made every quarter Put it in a fund called the community fund give it to the employees and say every quarter based on how hard you work and how well we do that will determine what's in the fund because it's a percentage of the real money we make and i want you guys to go find someone in our community to help with that money mm-hmm. the employees mm-hmm. love this nice. we built a shelter for abused women we built houses where some families lost everything they own in a tenement fire and families that were poor and had no insurance. We were constantly doing projects that the employees felt ownership of because they were funded by profits made by those employees. And so they're like, man, we love working here because this company is always in the community letting us get involved. And we don't feel like it's the company's project. We feel like it's ours because we built the products that service the customers that made those profits that enable us to go build those houses for people. So our culture drove our hiring. And, and so to, to close up that part, you don't hire by resume. I used to know people would come in. Let's say you were coming in for an interview. You might have six interviews scheduled for the whole day, an eight-hour day with us. But when you'd come in, we'd have you go stop by the, you know, the break room to grab some coffee and breakfast before you started your day. Mm-hmm. While you were in the break room, my employees would be just chatting with you and getting to know you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They would come down the hall and they'd be like, He's just not one of us. We don't even need to do the interviews. Mm -hmm. Or they do the opposite. They go, man, let's hire him. I said, no one interviewed him yet. And they're like, Jeff, he's totally one of us. We just spent breakfast with him. So the answer, the question is, what does one of us mean? Yeah. Until you can define that, you don't have a corporate culture. But at my company, I worked so hard to build a culture that you could tell what was one of us. The example being, when people found out that we were building houses, totally optional. But on Saturdays, employees and their families were across town building, physically working. We had to bring in Habitat for Humanity because we don't know how to build a house. We're software engineers, but we funded it. My employees were out there on Saturdays with their kids, their families, building houses for all these families whose homes burned down. Wow! And yeah. if somebody said, wait, we have, do we have to go on Saturday? That's not, that's not one of us. Somebody that says, wait, we get to go do that on Saturdays? This company gives me a chance to go work in the community? That's one of us. Those are You would never be judged for not doing that. My point is, my employees immediately knew if you were one of us or not just by chatting with you. Yeah. Culture is how you attract amazing people to your company and keep them.
1: Absolutely. I love that. Jeff, I was reading one of your articles and it talked about how you see the current times as the like one of the most exciting times in history of the world to live. And one of the things that I've talked a lot about with other people is the the idea of the online economy that's separate from local economies and national economies. How Business is always fluctuating somewhere online and it's always abundant online. You can get a job, you can be here in Austin and work for a German company or a South African company and still have a successful career. And then when Corona hits, maybe it doesn't affect you or a decline in an economy uh, hits, it doesn't affect you as much. And so um, I, I know you've done this and worked with a lot of young entrepreneurs, but what's your vision? Like, what would you say to the people of the world today that are that are kind of like still stuck in their own local economies and they're having a hard time with uh, either finding a job or keeping the bills paid? Uh, what are their options knowing, knowing what you've known and the tech companies you've built?
0: So there's a couple of parts to unpack there again another great question um the i i guess the first part to unpack there is this let's talk about covid more specifically because you brought up a a a, a great more general point which is the world's changing anyway all covid did was accelerate a lot of this a lot of people had never thought about if you were a boss running an online virtual workforce and if you're an employee, being able to get a job for a company that you don't, can't even drive to yeah. or in another country, like your German example, none of those things were thought of. But so let's break it into two pieces. The, the piece I'll talk about first is that COVID threw the whole world into chaos and disruption, uh, which for most people is, you know, hands in the air panic. Yeah. But the truth is that for entrepreneurs, I always tell people that chaos and disruption are the alarm clock entrepreneurs. When the world goes to hell all of a sudden overnight, when there's chaos or something disrupts it, entrepreneurs wake up all excited and they say, okay, the whole world just changed and I need to be the first one to figure it out. Yeah. Right. So disruption and chaos cause brand new opportunities. So the first part of that question is, there's no doubt that one of the, besides the obvious bad parts of COVID, there's another part, which is a lot of businesses just can't it, it, you know, again, if you run a restaurant uh, or a hair salon, let's let's pick that one. You can't do hair virtually, okay? Food, at least in a restaurant, I can deliver the food, but I can't deliver a haircut and I can't do it online. So if I was in the, you know, the, the, that part of the industry um, <clears throat> with, a, with a salon, times are just tough right now because I cannot provide the service. It COVID, my job doesn't translate to online. Uh-huh. A lot of blue-collar jobs also didn't translate to online, which made it very, very tough on a lot of people. So what do you do in that time? And the answer is you go study the chaos and you look for an opportunity that didn't even exist before. So let's pick three examples. Um, three huge industries that are begging for people to go build solutions. So maybe the job you had pre-COVID isn't coming back, or it still isn't back, and you need to make money. Go solve some of these new problems. Mm-hmm. What are the new problems? Here's a really obvious one: the future of work. None of us were prepared to per, to be productive employees 100% virtual. I shouldn't say none of us. Some people were. M- most of the world was not. Yeah. Most mm-hmm. companies were not prepared to collaborate to have virtual employees and to collaborate with them so what that caused was well you know since the pandemic i've talked to small business owners and entrepreneurs in 110 countries now thousands of companies and what i'm hearing from the companies is i need more help figuring out how to engage and manage a virtual workforce there aren't a lot of tools i mean we're using zoom Right. Mm -hmm. Zoom is one of a really small number still of tools and Zoom was never designed for you to do project management and assignments and status reports and check ins. Just a video conferencing thing. Yeah. So one of the things you could be doing is this. You could be saying my old job doesn't fly during covid, but I'm going to go see what we keep calling the new normal. What does the new world need? Well, I'll tell you what, it needs tools. It needs better collaborative work tools for an online workforce. And so whether you could have an idea for an app, you don't have to know how to build an app. Someone can build that. But you need the business idea or a website or a tool or a training class. Help millions of companies all over the world. It's a global market now because it applied to the whole planet. Help them figure out how to better manage and engage their workers. By the way, I've had a number of CEOs and leaders call me and say, okay, even if I could figure out project collaboration, I've lost the social aspect. I don't feel engaged in my employees. And if there's no glue, no engagement or sense of fulfillment at the company, if they're too remote, they'll probably leave the company because I have no glue anymore. And they said, has anybody built any tools that are fun, social things you can do with your employees to help them feel more engaged. I was like, wow, I Googled it, I couldn't find anything. Somebody should be creating those. There was next to nothing. So those are examples. Now you highlighted uh, the other side of that, which is um, in the future of work, which is as an employee, I didn't ever realize I could work for a German company, but hey, I'm at home anyway. I don't need to work for a company I can drive to. So how do I connect to those people? How do I find those opportunities? So there's a whole new world in the future of work that needs tools and apps and ideas and training that you could be building, you meaning any entrepreneur whose core business isn't working well now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. The same thing applies for the future of school. When schools shut down overnight, school systems all over the world were unprepared to teach online school. Teachers, I talk to teachers all the time. You know what they tell me? Not only do they not have the tools, but they say, are there any good apps to train me how to give classes online. Mm. Are there any good tra- video training courses? Why the- more people should be creating mm. tools for online education. There's a mat and every country needs them. Mm. Massive global market. Parents are asking me, how do I supplement an online education? Because they've heard this term they've never hear- heard before called peer to peer education. By the way, if I'm studying Germany, go back to your example, <clears throat> For the first time ever, as a parent of a seventh grader, could I not have my kid connect with a seventh grader in Germany? Oh, yeah. And could they not chat with each other and have the students talk about their cultures and where they live and their history? Yeah. How do I do that? That's a great question. How do I enhance my learning online as a, as a parent or as a student? Yeah. So the future of education needs help and all kinds of new tools. And then I'll just do one last one in the interest of time which is uh, telemedicine, healthcare. When we couldn't go to the doctor because of COVID and lockdown restrictions, doctors had to find a way to get to us. And so telemedicine, which is something that we, meaning the human race <clears throat> has been talking about for a long time but not really working on, we were going way too slow. It's been accelerated. Yeah. So what new tools and ideas could you could cre- create for online medicine? That's just three industries. Right there that are massive and global so entrepreneurs instead of sitting home and saying my company shut down and I have nothing to do. Why aren't you attacking these new problems. Why aren't you studying the new normal and figuring out what new jobs you can create that no one even needed before the pandemic.
1: Jeff, I gotta ask you um, before we wrap up about your habits and your any type of daily routines. And so you said a couple of times, you mentioned about staying up all night and studying industries to where you can provide value. Do we, are you sleeping in regular? Are you the type of entrepreneur that can only do four hours a night and you have for the past 40 years? Or are you getting your eight hours, seven, eight hours of sleep in per night? How's that, how's that for you?
0: Um, I, I think sleep is in both incredibly valuable and incredibly underrated.
1: <laughs> the reason
0: is that a lot of times people think, well, if I, uh, doesn't it sound right that a 16 hour day is more productive than a 10 hour work day? It sounds right. We think so, as yeah. As soon as you start getting tired and not being at your best, not only are those hours not net zero, but they're net negative mm-hmm. because you're actually doing bad work now. Doing no work is better than doing bad work. So sleep's important. Now, to be honest i never get enough sleep at night so i am a big uh believer in the power nap
2: okay. if you need
0: a nap in the middle of the day go take it because the the the, the turbo charge you'll get on the remaining four hours of your day because of a 30 hour nap 30 minute nap is a better benefit than working the whole rest of the day tired and not really being mm-hmm. your best so i try to i'm not good at getting sleep i need more but I am a believer in what I've tended to do now when I get older is when I'm tired, I sleep. And when I got to work, I got to work. And so, and by the way, COVID helped with that because if you're at home and you're doing your work online anyway, it doesn't matter if the offices are open or closed, just get the work done. Right. So I focus more on when do I feel like I'm at my peak mental and physical performance, not what the clock says. It's when is my productivity highest? And so my sleep schedule again, I don't try to continue working on something when I'm tired, just because I'm, it it sounds right to say, I'm going to pull an all nighter. If you're going to pull an all nighter and produce a crappy product, go to bed, get up early and produce a good product. Um, so that's a big piece of, but you asked about the morning habit. Um, and I have created a habit that I, that is for me, uh, really, uh, born a lot of fruit. Um, and that habit is, uh, that something I invented that I call info sponging. The word doesn't mean anything, it's just my term. Um, but here's what info sponging is about. Every What I've noticed is that the world's most innovative people and companies, Chris, are people that take the time to go see what the rest of the world is doing outside of their industry and to take cool ideas that other industries have created and synthesize them in a new way in their industry. So I started to notice that all my heroes in business do that, right? And what I mean is as opposed to if you were in the travel industry and I invited you to the healthcare conference, you'd be like, dude, we're in travel. We don't do healthcare. Why would we go to a healthcare conference? And therein lies a missed opportunity. What I noticed about my most successful friends was I'd be catch them reading something about the travel industry. I'd be like, uh, uh, I mean, about healthcare. And I'd be like, aren't you in travel? And he's like, yeah, but man, let's see what healthcare is up to. They might have some good ideas we can steal. The most innovative people synthesize ideas from the other other industries, and they're the first ones to bring it to their industry. Yeah. And before I explain what info sponging is, I'll tell you the story that highlighted it for me. It was a true story. It was a guy in the fast food industry, and their fat. This is a real story. Their fast food chain stopped growing, and. They were frustrated and said we got to do something new and innovative in fast food and so what most of the people did was they made the mistake i just talked about which is you always spend all your time in your industry so they were looking at the fast food industry and they were sitting there saying is there any way to make burgers or fries faster and the answer was no and they're like we're out of ideas but one guy again true story He left, he said, I'm gonna go check out what banks are up to these days. And the other people were like, banks, they don't serve French fries, that's a waste of time. So he went to go see what the banks were doing. And the first few banks were a waste of time, but the fourth bank he went to, Chris, uh, he couldn't park in their parking lot because in the parking lot there were pickup trucks, piles of wood, hammers, nails, and carpenters. And he said, what are you guys doing? And they said, we came up with this really cool new idea no one's ever thought of before and we're going to build it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And he said, what is it? And they said, when we finish it, we're going to call this thing a drive-through window. And so he got (laughs) his car, zoomed back to his fast food place, and the first drive-through window in fast food industry was not invented by the fast food industry. Some guy stole it from the side of a bank and said, holy crap, that's a good idea. That company was later acquired and rolled up into McDonald's because of its innovation being the first fast food they don't call themselves that they call themselves quick serve Mm -hmm. the first quick serve restaurant that ever had a drive-through window and they stole it so my morning practice i call info sponging. every day this is what i recommend you do for every day for the first 15 minutes of the day that's it you can spend the whole rest of your day on travel or whatever you want your business for 15 minutes the day every day before you start your day you do not work for your company and you are not in your industry And the challenge is to learn one new thing a day every day. So every day I spend 10 or 15 minutes and I learn one new thing about something someone else in some other industry is doing. At the end I write down one sentence of what I learned when I do my info sponging. And what I do is, if you think of these sentences like puzzle pieces, every time I learn something new it's like collecting another piece of a puzzle. And you put all the puzzle pieces on the table and you move them all around and you try to guess what is the pattern in the data? What are these puzzle pieces going to form when I've collected enough of them? And that's how innovation happens. So every morning I learn one new thing and I take all the things I've learned and I stare at them and I was like, is there something pattern forming? Is there some cool idea that I could assemble cool ideas from around the world and create something new that no one's ever thought of before? That is my daily morning. I do my info sponging every day. I learn one new thing a day and I stare at it for a while to see if it triggers combined with other ideas, a brand new idea that I've never thought of before.
1: I love that. That's ingenious. Jeff, I think we're going to wrap up there. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. Do you have any final parting thoughts before we sign off?
0: Yeah. And I think it's this don't, and it kind of summarizes a lot of what I said, don't accept this old traditional belief that your job and your sort of dreams, the cool, you know, the life you like to live are mutually exclusive, right? How am I going to travel the world? If I got to be in my engineering cubicle every day, mm-hmm. I got to get to work. Most people think of the sort of dreams and passions of things you'll do on the weekend. If there's any time left over and you have any money or a list of things you're going to do one day when you retire. You're going to climb Mount Everest when your knees no longer work, really? Right. And so people say that because when I tell them, why aren't you pursuing your dream? My dream was to go on tour, right, <clears throat> and, and build a concert. And later we launched a movie company and we made movies. Those were my dreams. And when I told people, they said, I can't do that. I said, why not? And they said, Jeff, sometimes you got to grow up. Uh, I have a mortgage, I have a family, I have bills to pay. That's not growing up, Chris, that's just giving up. Accepting mm-hmm. the belief that a job is a thing that responsible adults do and a dream is a thing that irresponsible people might get to do someday is, is a, you're selling yourself short. What I want you to realize is if you make a list of the things you'd like to do with your life, I want I wanna be in the music biz, I wanna travel the world. And over here, you find a way to solve problems in that industry, then it turns out the truth is you can do both. You can live a life doing things you actually enjoy doing and being a grown-up that can afford to pay your bills at the same time. I think I want to just close with that.
1: I love that. Jeff, if the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can find more info on you? Um,
0: I am actually most active on LinkedIn, okay. uh, but my email is just jeff at jeffopman.com. Okay. And uh, I do have a website, jeffhoffman.com.
1: Jeff, again, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our six-, seven-, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at TheBusinessMethod.com. That's TheBusinessMethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.